Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Morning, everybody. God bless Texas. Yeah, everybody loves Texas, man. You guys are one of a kind. I share it every year, but, uh, you know, Grace thing about being an Okie is whipping a Texan. Yeah, we, we'd rather whip you than anybody. That's what we think about you. Our football team, we don't care if we go into it. We beat Texas, there's a God in heaven, and he loves us. <laughs> so we think a lot of you, really. And uh, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters. Denisha's dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My family uh, were all from East Tennessee. When, uh, when they started getting older, uh, all of my dad's family moved to Texas. You know, Corpus Christi, Fort Worth, Mid-Nodesson, I said, why are y'all going to Texas? Don't you like Tennessee? And they said, my uncle said, Davy Crockett went to Texas. Good enough for David, good enough for us. We're going to Texas. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> so we're living in a great time. Uh, I worked as an engineer for about 10 years and God called us into the ministry and specifically about family. And so, well, I like family. We came from a big family. I love family. Real entertaining, family reunion. You know, you want to have fun, find a family member. You want to have a fight, find a family member. You, know, you want to borrow something, find a family member. And family pulls up in the driveway, lock the door. They come to get something. Don't let them. And so I love family. It was just sort of a different thing growing up in a small town and a lot of cousins and friends. And so we wanted a family of our own. So we wanted five kids. And God always does above and beyond all you ask or think. So we've got six. And I tell people having six kids won't make you holy and famous. It'll make you insane and broke. You don't know what to do with them once they show up. Because you can't take them back. It's not like, not like you buy something at Walmart. I'm taking this back. No, when you bring them home, they're yours. So we're, we just had our second grandbaby. And we're trying to pass on that faith to the next generation. Like, they're going to be here forever. And so uh, I, I remember as we were growing up and having kids and growing, it's like um, the most important thing on this planet is the local church. There's nothing more powerful, more loving, more giving, more necessary than the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so being the only minister in the family and all of our family went to church when we were young, everybody, cousins, uncles, heathen, they all went to church. Everybody went to church. Well, today, almost none of our family on either side goes to church. They, they all quit going. And so, uh, you know, family get togethers are interesting because we're not only ministers, we're that Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, tongue talking, pew jumping, you know, we're that radical bunch. And so we're the ones that make fun of at family reunion unless hell lands on them. Now, if hell lands on them, they call it. Can you pray for us? I'd love to pray for you, not here. Come on over here. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> and so we're, we're trying to be real encouraged. And I've always been pretty positive. Nice and I, we just sort of grew up in great, great homes. And, uh, and so people call, especially, you know, the last few weeks. Like, what do you think about what's going on? I said, I don't know what's going on. Well, you know, Supreme Court decision, all this. Oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's fine. It's like, you know, I know where we live. We live on a hell-bound planet. Jesus taught it when he was here. So it's going, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I've come to save a lost and dying world. How are you going to do that? Well, we're going to love them. What? We're going to love a lot of unlovable people. We're going to love mean people and snot-nosed people and rude people. We're going to give water to thirsty people and food to hungry people. We're going to help widows and orphans and visit people in prison, nourish sick people back to hell. We are a hell-fixing machine. That's what we do. And so if, if you don't grow up in church and get the Word of God, then you don't realize who you are in Him, in whom He Christ. All right, well, I'm like Jesus. Jesus got up every day, so what are you going to do today, Jesus? Well, i got a busy day planned. I'm going to 
put some eyeballs of the man's head down here. He's blind. And we're going to have a hand grow out over here, and that's going to upset a lot of people. And I'm going to raise a dead kid at a funeral. Whoa, that's going to be something. And they're going to finish up with 5,000 Happy Meals out here on the hillside. <laughs> going to be a really good day. And, uh, and you realize that every day Jesus got up, he whipped hell somewhere. You know, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But if you grow up and you don't know who you are in Christ, if you're not in the body of Christ, you're not fellowship with the saints, you're not in the word of God, you're running from hell. And we have people, my God, Joe, what do you think? What's going on? I said, well, the world's going to hell, but we're not going. We're trying to save the world. We're real busy. We've got uh, job security. There'll always be some hell to fix somewhere. It's like... I say it all the time. Every, I tell my kids, we've got adult kids, that every morning you wake up, you ought to make the devil break out into a cold sweat. Like, oh dear God, they're up. Yes, we are. <laughs> so we're going to do today. Well, I'm going to whip me some hell somewhere. So, somewhere today I'm going to whip some hell. Looking for some hell. I'm trying to find some hell. But if you don't know that, my God, I hope you know, hell happens today. I just hope we have a normal day. We well, are not going to. <laughs> Because hell's looking for you. So you need to turn around and chase hell. The Bible says we resist the devil. He flee is in sheer terror. He's afraid of us. We're not supposed to be afraid of him. So here we are in the last days going through all this stuff. And my adult kids are all saved, spirit-filled in church, pay their tithes, doing real good. They're not perfect because they didn't have perfect parents. But we visit a lot. And so they'll ask, Dad, did you hear about this? And what do you think about this? I said, baby, it's just a great time to be alive. There's nothing's changed. I said, you, you ever read, read the Bible? I said, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were down there on that Gaza Strip before it was famous, and it was a desert. There was a famine. Things were bad, and people were killing people, robbing people, filling their wells up with rocks. And it was a nasty time, but God said, stay here, I'm going to bless you. Well, it don't look like much of a blessed place. I didn't say I bless the place, I'm going to bless you in the place. So all of a sudden, you read Isaac, when he stayed finally, didn't try to run off to Egypt, God blessed him a hundredfold that year. His crops increased 100-fold, not double. 100 times. His cattle increased 100 times. His sheep increased 100 He was so filthy, sick, and rich, it made all the heathens mad. You got to move. We don't like you. Why? Because you're blessed. And people in the Bible says in the last days will ask us about the hope that's in us. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived under a bad government, a bad time, and a bad drought, and they were filthy, sick, and rich. Why? Because I don't belong to that. I belong to God. I belong to God. God orders my steps, directs my paths, guides with all truth, shows the things that come, surrounds me with divine favor, talks to me when I wake up and I go to sleep. I got so many angels around me, you can't count them. I got her made. What are you doing? I'm looking for hell. I want to fix something to help somebody. I'm not running from something. I'm fixing them. Then you got away the book of Acts. Man, it's Roman rule. They're nailing people to crosses 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. They've been stabbed and burnt and arrested. And all of a sudden, the thing is, Jesus goes home since the Holy Ghost back, the pastor's about to teach us about when the Holy Spirit showed up, the church grew 8,000 in less than a week. In the worst time of human history, under the worst government, at the worst time, God's moving like a freight train. You don't stop God. God's not afraid of nobody and nothing. The government doesn't bother God, the economy doesn't bother God, uh, nothing bothers God. He's doing really good this morning. He's really happy, they're singing to him up there. There's a laser light show going on. Got six wing angels, my balls, just looking and singing to them, flapping wings. How you doing, God? Doing really good. Well, we belong to him. Our job is not just to be happy. Our job is to go help unhappy people and go be a blessing to somebody. So I told the kids, listen, I think there's never been a time to be born. I'm glad God allowed you and I to be born in the last days. Never been a better time to get married, have a baby, or start a career. 
You got some people running off to the mountains and hiding, living in communes, storing up beef jerky. I like beef jerky, but I'm not going to live off of it. I don't. I'll, <laughs> you know, like, don't go weird, you know. Jesus said the day he comes back, I don't care what's going on, the last days, perilous times will come. Be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, heady, high-minded, truth breakers, but... He also said when he comes back, even though there's wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, people will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and buying and selling and building and planting. Jesus said it will be business as usual till you hear me blow the trumpet and come and get you. There's always going to be an economy. There's always going to be people being born, people dying, people married, people divorced. Welcome to planet Earth. What's our job? We're trying to reach a hopeless bunch of people. That's what we're trying to do. So to do that, we'd run numbers. Now, I love stories. I'm an old, I worked as a school administrator for 10 years and high school kids don't like school. They hate school and they hate private school especially. Why are you here? Because I got kicked out of public school. My daddy made me come here. <laughs> so we try to have Bible class and because it's a Christian school, they just assume we ought to have Bible. I never did believe in Bible in Christian school. Still don't. And I uh, served Old Roberts University for 10 years in accrediting schools. And I still tell them, you, you don't have a Bible? No, we're not teaching no Bible, no Christian school. You go to church, get Bible. Go home, get Bible. We're an educational institution. They're writing us a really big check to teach them algebra and math and science and history and calculus. You, we got it mixed up. And so because you realize in a Christian school, you got Baptists, Charismatics, Pentecostal, Lord of Faith, Methodist, Episcopalian, Backsliders. We got a whole bunch. You put that bunch in one room, okay, open up to John chapter two. Well, they just look at each other. What page is that on? Because they don't read their Bible. Most people don't read their Bible, especially a teenager. Most don't read it so finally. So we got to shut this down. We're trying to have a 50 minute Holy Ghost, you know, like this is a waste of time. You know, the disciples were told to go into a house two by two and speak peace to it. They said, if the peace slaps in your face, go out, shake the dust off, go to somebody that will listen. I said, I always believe schools and educational institutions. Now I believe in Christian education because I'm preparing you to go into a lost and dying world and dominate something. I'm preparing you to go write a paycheck, not get a paycheck. I'm preparing to go build a business, not go get hired by a business. We're supposed to be the light and the salt of this planet. Let's go be a blessing to somebody. Let's be a blessing to our community. You walk into a place out a smile, not, well, dear God, they're here. We ought to leave people better than we find them, just like Jesus did. So I thought, we're going to have to change our attitude. So I began to collect stories. So I remember this one. I was going back and the kids said, well, Dad, what should we be doing? I said, well, Jesus was real clear. Number one, the devil tries to make things complicated. God's real simple. I collected all the sayings in the Bible. There's over 200 of things that had three things in it. Faith, hope, and love. Spirit, soul, and body. World, flesh, and the devil. God always simplified. Jesus simplified. They asked him one day, what's the greatest law of all the laws, the 17 books of the law? What's the greatest one? He said, well, it's pretty simple. He said, if you'll just love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, if you'll love your neighbors yourself, you'll fulfill the 17 books of the law. So Jesus took 17 Old Testament books and if you just do this, it'll go really good. Really? Uh-huh. And of course, they couldn't understand it. And then in Jude, talks, you know, he's writing about the last days, perilous times, all this stuff. He said, but you, my beloved brother, just need to do three things. Number one, build up yourself with the most holy faith. It's real important. Without faith, you don't please God. Without faith, you don't whip the devil. So every day, might want to pump that faith thing up by getting in the Word of God. Number two, you need to pray in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there's stuff coming you can't see. You don't see tomorrow, but the Holy Ghost does. He will help you pray for things you don't see coming. 
Bible says, Paul said, when I know not how to pray, the Spirit of God will help me by making intercession through me according to the perfect will of the Father. So you ought to be a tongue-talking machine. Shondai Hikimo, who stole a Honda? Get her out there, buddy. Cut her loose. So I would make my kids pray in tongues at unholy moments. They might be coming out of the kitchen. Come here a minute. We're going to pray. What? Shut up, Mick. Grab your hands. Count of three. Start praying in tongues. Real loud and real fast. And I would do it at home at night. Okay, come here. Come here. Come here. Oh, Dad. Come on. Shut up. Get in here. Get in a circle. Get in a circle. Okay, on the count of three. I just always say the count of three. I didn't get a holy moment. I didn't quote the scripture. Count of three. One, two, three, go. And I would make my six kids pray in tongues loud and fast. It was like camp meeting. They just have, I said, keep your eyes open. We're going to watch and pray. The Bible says, watch and pray. So look right at me. I want to hear you. I don't hear that mouth. I want to hear you running, man. And I'd make them pray in tongues just to get comfortable with it. I said, when hell lands, don't say, oh, dear God, oh, dear Jesus, that's not a prayer. (laughs) And God will just stare at you. How come God didn't show up? You didn't ask him. Jesus repeatedly said throughout Matthew, Mark, and John, you have not because you ask not. If you'll ask, your joy will be made full. I'll do whatever you ask. You don't have to earn it. You just have to ask. I thought, well, my goodness, I'm going to use God, the second member of the Holy Ghost, or the third member to help me pray. I said, you ought to be praying in tongues, you get up. Before you ever brush your teeth, you ought to shine that hickam and get something out. You, the Bible says you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks to God, and God inhabits praise. He likes that a lot. So if the alligators of hell will run up your armpits, why don't you just raise your hand and start praying in tongues and thanking God? Because that scares the devil, because he doesn't know what you're saying. Only the Father knows what you're saying. So build up your uh, Pray in tongues. Number three, walk in love. Be nice to people. Don't be rude. Well, take that back. I don't want that. Shut your face up. Eat it. Light in order. Well, you're going to like it. God's trying to bless you with something new. You wouldn't eat it. Eat that. You know, I've seen people in restaurants just be mean and snot like, here, God, smile. Here, let me tip you bigger for messing up. You know, every day you're going through a hard time. Your mind's all messed up. Let me give you a big tip. That'll mess with you. I'm serious. That's what we do. We're trying to leave people better than we find them. So here we are, the last days, the news is blaring all kinds of bad stuff and wars and famine and crazy laws. Like, no, we're going to do something different. Uh, they asked Jesus about the, you know, one time they were heading toward Jerusalem. He knows he's about to die. And uh, the two boys asked their mother, you know, hey, which, my, which one of my boys can sit on your left and right? And the disciples got mad, but Jesus did answer the mom. I want one son to sit on your left, one on your right. Now, Jesus has just shared about how he's going to get the snot beat out of them. They're going to nail him to a cross. He's going to die and go to hell for three days. He's just told them for the third time. They still can't get it. And so mom says, well, I don't know about that, but can you let my boy sit on either side of me? He said, well, I, can't, I don't determine that, mom. Only my father will say who sits where, but I can tell you how to move up the food chain. Here's how you do that. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to become the servant of all. The more you serve, the higher up the food chain you go. It's not dominating, it's serving. It's an upside down pyramid. So I want my kids to be successful on a messed up planet. How are you going to do that? Leave people better than you find them. Serve them. Don't judge them. Don't criticize. Don't cuss. Don't holler. Don't yell. Don't write letters to the editor. Serve somebody. It messes with them. Heaps coals of fire in their head. So we began to go through this process. So I began to try to show them something. Uh, David Turek, who works for IBM in their creative department, trying to keep up with all the new information in the world. Uh, he's a great CEO, but he wrote something this year about what IBM's been doing to improve the computers because there's so much information. He said, from 2003 back to the beginning of known history, we have generated some 5 billion gigabytes of information. Now, you can't even conceive how many books that, that your mind can't wrap around 5 billion gigabytes of information. Uh, history, science, discoveries, medicine, art. If you, all the information that's been developed, you know, up to 2003, it's massive. But he said, here's what's scary. 
He said, last year we generated that much information in 2014. We generated that same amount of information in two days. By the end of next year, we'll generate that same amount of information every two hours. Knowledge is covering the face of the earth. So what happens is we're losing our focus. You know, faith, hope, and love, spirit, soul, and body. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Shut your face up. Yeah, you're going to know. God's going to talk to you. He's going to order your steps and direct your paths, guides, and all truth. Talk to you when you go to sleep, when you get up. Are you listening? Because the devil's yapping. He's coming at you from 14 directions. He's the author of confusion. Don't be confused. Focus on the word of God and on God. So I said, we got to change this up. How are we going to do this? And so he said, this, we got so much information, i got to kind of boil this down. So let's find people who've made it in life, even though there's a lot of information going on. And so I've got a great book I've read for years. I quote it most every time I speak called Educational Ideas in the Ancient World. William Barclay, who wrote a great translation of the New Testament, studied the five greatest civilizations in history. So here's what I found out. The five greatest civilizations, the Spartans, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, and the early church are, are just left a huge impact on this planet. He wasn't studying their economy or even really their military. He's discovered, he was trying to discover their parenting skills. What happened to these great nations that dominated the planet? Well, the Spartans, everybody wants to be a Spartan. Man, they knew how to fight. That's because if you're a Spartan, you were taken from your parents at age seven by the government and you went to school at age seven. They kept you in a loincloth and barefoot until you were 12. They taught you how to fight, dance, steal. Uh, they fed you just enough food to keep you from starving, but you were hungry. So if you got caught stealing, you know, after you've been in Spartan school, they beat you. Not because you stole, but because you got caught. They were trying to teach you how to have stealth. So at age 12, you became a junior high, you know, stealth person, started teaching the other seven-year-olds coming in. You stayed in that school until you were 20 in a loincloth. You can research this, I'm not making this up. At age 20, you go in the army. Uh, at age 20, at age 30, you're allowed to get married. There was no marrying ceremony. You got married by breaking into somebody's home at night and stealing their daughter. I'm not making this up. And so you stayed in the military all your life. In Sparta, there were no men that ran any business. No men that shoot horses, no men that ran businesses, no men that ran the government. Women ran everything. Men have one job, fight and kill. And they were a killing machine. At their peak, they had no more than 10,000 soldiers. But they whipped everybody. Nobody could whip a Spartan. All of a sudden, they weren't much on parenting, so if you had a baby in Sparta, if you didn't like its looks, or maybe you thought it wasn't healthy, it wasn't gonna be strong, you'd take it to the foot of the mountain, and you'd leave it for their goofy gods. You know, well, just give it to the gods, we don't want it. Well, it's what would be, you know, pre-abortion kind of a thing. Well, they began to die off, and the Spartan army dropped from 10,000 to 6,000. Man, we're, we're losing troops, why? Well, we're not reproducing ourselves, we're dropping them at the mountain, because who wants to parent? So all of a sudden they said, well, for every Spartan, there were 50,000 slaves in Sparta. They whipped everybody. So they said, well, let's take some of our best slaves. We'll train them to fight with us. And they did. So now you have 6,000 Spartans, 4,000 slaves to get back up to 10,000. Pretty soon the Spartan army dropped to about 4,000. Now you got 6,000 slaves fighting and 4,000 Spartans. And one day a slave said, hey, you know, this is kind of stupid. There's more of us than there are of them. Why don't we just whip them and take over? And they did. Now that's a big thick book in college, so I just shorted it up to about a half a page. <laughs> so that's why you, you can't find Sparta today. There's a town in Greece, but the country's gone. Well, the Greeks learned the same thing, so Greeks, Greece is amazing. They learned art and drama and knew how to wrestle. But they didn't like parenting either, so they took countries they whipped to raise their kids. Always get a slave 
to raise your kids because there's not much honor in parenting. Once they're worth something, then we'll start teaching them something, not when they're young. So all of a sudden, Greece did the same thing, man. They big, built stuff, did art and whatever. And then one day, you know, they got spread so thin, uh, they got whipped. Rome took over, and so Rome is now the dominant. So Rome would take Greek slaves to raise their kids. So Rome did great stuff, built bridges, bridges, aqueducts, took over the known world. Had a, man, what an army. But eventually the heathen out of the north, you know, the old Viking boys came down and pretty much did them in. And so you can't find Sparta today. You can find Greece, but they're broke. They've been on the national news for the last month. They're broke, broke. And they went to the European Union for a loan and they're so broke. And they're broke, they're stupid. They wouldn't take a loan. And they celebrated. No, no, we're broke, we're stupid. They were in the streets celebrating. We're broke and done. <laughs> Come see our country. Everything's broken. Oh, but it's something. Well, you go to Italy, and they've been on the news lately. They're broke. Now, Italy's beautiful, and you go see the Colosseum. That's broke. The Colosseum's broke. They, they didn't rebuild it. It's, it, it's broke. And the Parthenon, it, I agree, it's, it's broke. They're all broke. There's nothing new. They're broke. They're poor, and they're broke. Why? They weren't much on parenting. So Barclay said, well, who did this good? Well, the Jews did. They, even though they were scattered to the four corners of the earth, they were really big on parenting and teaching the kids who they were and why they were here. So in 48, Israel comes back, becomes a nation after being scattered for 2,000 years. And so now they're the size of Rhode Island over there. You know, the nation of Israel, it's just a little bitty country. They're surrounded by their enemies. Israel's in the news every, every day. There's not a person alive that doesn't hate Israel, unless you're a Christian. Christian, we love them. We pray for them. We support them. But the uh, world hates Israel. So every day somebody's trying to kill them, blow them up. And every time Israel gets attacked by a country, Israel whips that country in about, you know, about two or three days and takes over half their country. And then the UN makes them give it back. <laughs> yeah, it's in the history. You can read about that. They gave Egypt back twice. Okay, you can have it back. I'm not making this up. So, you know, if you're in Israel, you're taught in the military. Half your teaching is military. The other half is historical. Here's who a Jew is, how you got to be a Jew, and what it's going to take to stay a Jew. It's God that got us here. And so they're real big on training their kids. Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, man, you're going to be, we're going to teach you the law. And you're going to have it memorized by age 12 because we live by the word of God. Well, then you get the church. The church comes along, and even though we were persecuted really bad in the beginning, uh, we pretty much are all over the world. You know, Christians are everywhere. Now, you might see that in the media, but you search, research, we're, revival in Africa has been going on for about six years. There are more spiritual Christians in Africa than any other denomination. You know, we're, we're, we're doing what Jesus said. Go preach the gospel to the four corners. Okie dokie. I'm going to go with you. Yes, you will. What's going to happen? Well, there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but you will be an overcomer and a more than a conqueror. You're going to set people free and heal the sick and cast out devils, feed hungry people, help over. We are a hell-fixing machine. But if you don't get that in you, you're scared. I got a big family. My God, Joe, what's going on? Well, the devil's coming. <laughs> the Antichrist. Whoa. <laughs> so got some of them storing up beef jerky and water, and like, ah, oh, dear Lord. People, listen, every restaurant will be packed the day Jesus comes back. People will be able to go to a restaurant and eat. Walmart will be packed. You won't be able to get in line. You can't even get a, find a line in Walmart. Jesus said when he comes back, they'll be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, building, and planting. It'll be business as usual until he gets here. So with that in mind, all my adult kids recently, because of all the stuff that happens, you know, I remember years ago, they had the big earthquake out in Yellowstone. They said, you know, if this thing happens, we're going to have a volcano there. And they're predicting it. You can look this up. There's going to be a volcano go off. And they said at one time, two-thirds of the earth was destroyed by a volcano. 
in where is Yellowstone now. Ooh, ash covered, the ice age, the dinosaurs, you know, it's in their books. And they said it's gonna happen again. So the kids call and they said, Dad, did you see CNN last night? They said that, that volcano's gonna go off again in Yellowstone. I said, yeah, I saw that. Well, what do you think we ought to do? I said, well, we're gonna go to Winnebago and go out there. I wanna go see it. Let's, we're gonna get out in the middle of it. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I said, we're gonna go see it. Why? Because it can't happen while I'm here. I'm part of the body of Christ. This is our time. This is the time of the local church. We are what's happening. The, the, the devil can't show up till we're gone. He just have a seat, big boy. It's our time. And if you don't get in the word of God, you don't know that. And you're scared and you're afraid. What's going on? I don't know. I told my kids, they're not giving raises. Well, I'm going to get a raise. I'm highly favored, blessed. I'm the head not tell above and not beneath. Everything I set my hand to process. Psalm 512, people like me, and they don't even know why. Get it for Abraham. Did it in the book of Acts. In a time of bad economy, bad government, the church rose to the top. You've got to know who you are. That's why the greatest thing on this planet is the body of Christ. It is the local church. That's why the church does four things, prayer, doctrine, breaking of bread, and fellowship. That's how we grow. You got to pray. God can't move if you don't ask him. You got to get in the word of God. You got to find out who you are so you don't just let anything the devil shove at you stay with you. You got to resist him in the faith. You got to break bread. It's holy to go eat lunch with a believer. You'll learn by hanging out with somebody else. They know stuff you don't know. You know stuff they don't know. Breaking bread and fellowship. You got to just get together every now and then with somebody. People who say, I don't need anybody. Well, you're a ignorant doofus. Yes, you do. You need everybody, you just don't know that yet. So that's a long introduction. It's going to be a short sermon, so let me just give this to you. <laughs> this is, uh, it's real short, you'll be, you'll be shocked. And so uh, trying to help my kids realize, listen, we're living at the greatest time. Best time to get married, have a baby, start a career. And our kids, uh, most all of our adult kids, except my daughter just had a baby and my college daughter who's having to do some stuff for school, are down at a, they're camping out this weekend in southern Oklahoma. Got them a big old A-frame. Did it themselves, you know, down there with their spouses and uh, they went hiking. There's no TV in this big old beautiful cabin. They're canoeing this morning, just having a time getting together. Like, what is it? Whether it's thanking God and having a good time. Like, you scared of what? Because we just try to put it, this is our time. Well, everything's better. Yeah, it is. It's like, my God, if I was going to get a career, I'd love to be, right now, <laughs> there's never been a better time to be in ministry. Why? Wow, there's hell everywhere. I'll never get laid off. I'll never be without a job. I get to, come on. I mean, it's like, don't get a career where they don't need you. You know, we're going to sell snow cones. Well, there's three guys selling snow cones. Why don't you pick something else? Maybe a chocolate covered donut. Anybody got those? Pick something nobody's doing. And so in the last days, people are running. We've got ministers quitting. Churches are closing. Yet some I can't build fast enough. So I'll give you this. When I was uh, got inducted into the Army, I was going to join the Air Force with a buddy of mine, and we went down to Atlanta and took the physical and did everything except swear in. We came back, and they did the draft on TV. And the next day we got back, we were going to go down and swear in on Tuesdays. Draft came out. I was number five. He was 284. He called me up because he's watching from his house. This is my best friend in high school. He goes, hey, did you see the draft? Mm-hmm. I almost won. I'm number five. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm 284. He said, I'm not going. I said, What? I'm not going. No, we're going. Buddy plan. We're going to the Air Force. Six years. Make a career out of it. We've been talking about this for years. No, I don't have to go. I'm 284. You're not going? I'm not going. Well, so much for a friend. So, so much for the Air Force. So, my draft notice showed up. I got to go to Knoxville, take a physical, and you go up. So, here we got to, they finally, at the end, they make you raise your hand. If you've been in the military, you know this. A lot of military people here this morning. So, this is the military oath. This is what they made us say that day. I, Joe McGee, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, I remember we were sitting there doing it that morning. I will defend the Constitution. Now, we're just sitting there. Now, there's a lot of us backed up in the room. And somebody said, on back where I was at, somebody said, what's the Constitution? 
I'm not making it. I don't know, never read it. 70% of all adults in America have never, ever once ever read the Constitution. The 30% have read it, can't quote it, they don't know what's in it. But we swore to, we swore to defend it. And we're thinking like, I don't know what it is, but there's, it's got enemies overseas in here that don't like it. We're gonna have to shoot somebody about this thing. I don't know what it is, but it must be important. We might want to read it because we're getting ready to shoot somebody to defend this thing called a Constitution. Where's, I don't know, it's hanging in the library. I just never read it. It's real small print and cursive. I don't know. It's just, but we're going to defend it, bless God. Y'all go home tonight and print off a copy and read it. It's real entertaining. I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. What? That Constitution. I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office in which I'm about to enter, so help me God. So help me God, I'm going to defend the Constitution. We might want to read it. Now, we do 80 seminars plus a year all over America. Like, says, well, I go to church. Well, that's good. My dog's got a doghouse. It's not where you're in, it's what's in you. Are you in the word of God? Because the devil's not afraid of me. He's afraid of Christ in me coming out of my mouth. Ephesians 6 is the only offensive weapon I possess. So we're not just trying to be religious. We're trying to get, make the devil scared. We're trying to resist the devil and back him off our family, our finance, our health, our sanity, our joy. We're going to back you up, big boy. Because if a, if a thief steals something, he's got to pay back sevenfold. So I learned even going in the army, it's like we're all dressed up, trained as hard, man. We ran and sweated and puked and whew, what are you doing? Well, we're defending the Constitution. I went through six, I went to all basic AIT, still never read the Constitution, but I'm trained. Oh God, we're going to defend it. We're going over here to defend it because they don't like it over there and some of us are going down here. They don't like it down there either. There are a lot of people that don't like this Constitution. And I thought, got to read this. Finally, I finally did. Now, this is this year's numbers. This is the Heritage Foundation because people are always trying to talk about the negative. I said, quit cursing the darkness and light a candle. Quit cursing the darkness. It's going to be darkness forever. We're here lighting candles. So this is the Heritage Foundation. This is this year's numbers. One third of all babies conceived in America this year will not make it out of their mother's womb. That's one third of all babies conceived. They won't see the light of day. One third of all babies who are conceived, and it's actually 39.4% of all babies conceived in America this year, they will be born to unwed mothers. One third won't make it out. One third are born to mamas who don't even have a, a, a daddy or a husband around. The one third who are born to married parents, half of those parents will be divorced by the time my child's 18. Why are you reading that? Well, the devil hates the family. Went after the first family in Genesis. What are you going to do? I'm going to bust Adam and Eve up. I'm going to get them fired from the job, evicted from the house, get their kids killing one another. The devil hates the home. God made the home. God said, I'm going to build families. I'm going to help one another, love one another, support one another, even when they don't feel like it. Because love's what you do, not what you feel. And we're going to build us something powerful. We're going to build us a local church made up of families who are helping, loving, supporting, defending one another. And we're going to scare the devil. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So all of a sudden you need to realize these are bad numbers. You know, I'll just give this to America, number one, and a lot of stuff. We're also, this is this year, we're the number one. We have the highest divorce rate in the world, the highest number of one-person households in the world, the highest teen pregnancy rate in the world, the highest child abuse rate in the world, the highest number of people watching TV each week. We're number one in a lot of areas, just not any, we need to be number one in. And so people say, would you preach against that? No, I just read it to wake people up. I'm like, what's going on? Oh my goodness, had one friend of mine who's been in ministry for years, just 
quit his 501c3 and resigned about three weeks ago in a state up north. It's like one of the most brilliant men, theologically, I've ever met. He just got said, I just quit. I'm doing it. Pretty good. What? Where are you going? How do you quit? How do you quit when God called you? I'm not doing it anymore. Do you do that? I've never read that scripture. Hey, I quit. Where's my clock? Punch me out. I don't think what you're called, you quit. I think you got to stay. If you're staying, you might want to make it good because the devil doesn't like you anyhow. <laughs> so, now, this is the life cycle of a nation. When the United States became a nation, I read part of this last year, but I really like this. Uh, we became a country. We've just whipped the most powerful country on the face of the planet, England. They were watching. This guy's Alexander Tyler, the 1787, a Scottish professor at the University of Edinburgh. He watched America from afar. Here's what he wrote about it. He said, a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot endure as a permanent form of government. He wrote that about us. He said, they won't make it. Then he said, a democracy will continue to exist up until the time that voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. Whoa. From then on, the majority always votes for the candidate who promises the most benefits from the public treasury. December of this year, we will hit $18.2 trillion in debt. That's 56,000 for every man, woman, boy, and girl in America that we owe. Uh, we're broke. We're broke, broke. But people are voting everywhere. Vote for him. You get us some stuff. I'm voting for you. We want some stuff. Well, we got no stuff to give you. We'll print some more, but it's worthless to the stuff we originally had that we don't have. But we'll print more that's worth less than the stuff we don't have to begin with. We'll just keep printing money. We've been up to the treasure where they just, they just print it. Doom, doom, doom. We we're printing more money. Yeah, but it's worth less. Yeah, they don't know it though. They just, you know. You know, when I was a kid, you'd get gas for 26, 26 cents a gallon. We should have bought a lake and buried it. <laughs> what happened is, if you don't know Jesus and you don't know faith, you're dependent on some human to take care of you. I don't need a human, I got God. I love humans, I want to help a human, but I don't need a human because you need him, you're going to get severely disappointed. That's why we have the highest divorce rate. <sighs> We're in love. No, you're not. You got hormones and they're bouncing around like ping pong balls on a concrete floor. <laughs> but eventually they're all going to go flat. You have to get your own ping pong ball. <laughs> now we started off really good. So just listen, I'm about through. This, this is how we started off. I try to tell people, God's always moving. People get excited, then they fall away. Then God will move, they get excited. I said, this is a history. Don't get disappointed. This is still the greatest country on the face of the planet. I love America. My God, this is great. Man, pray for my president every day. Pray for my Congress and Senate. Man, I pray for my governor and my mayor. Why? Because God commanded me to. He said, Joe, if you want to live a peaceful life and all God's not, I need you to pray for the authority. God told Daniel to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar killed his parents, made him a slave, killed his pet goat, stuck him in a prison. I need you to pray for the man that just killed your parents. I pray. Pray a she-bear, rip his eyeballs out, spit them down his throat. No, wrong prayer. Wrong prayer. No, I need you to pray that that heathen has a peaceful day. You have got to be kidding me. Oh, no, no, it's real important. See, if you pray he has a peaceful day, you'll have a peaceful day. But if you don't pray he has a peaceful day, you're probably coming home early. Daniel chapter one, it's real good. And he did. That's why he got arrested with the lines then. He was praying for the heathen king. That's another movie. Now, this is the history, history of education. Martin Luther, they started public schools in Prussia. First public schools in the history of the world. We're going to start public schools, free education. 
They're trying to keep from revolting, so let's educate them. If we educate them, they'll get in debt. They can't afford to revolt, they're too far in debt. And that was, that was 600 years ago. There's nothing new under the sun. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, I'm much afraid that these new public schools will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor engraving the holy scriptures upon the heart of the youth. For every institution which is not increasingly occupied with the word of God will and must become corrupt. Even Martin Luther had to say, look, if you're not in the word of God, the devil's not afraid of nothing except the word of God. You can build stuff, get educated, get degrees. If you don't have the word, he's not afraid of you. You're not going to last long. Nations have not. Why? It's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. That would be the greatest thing you ever pray for yourself. I like this. This is Harvard College before Harvard University. This was 16. This is really something, 1643. This is before it became Harvard University. Harvard College was started for one reason, to train ministers. We're coming over from the old world to a new world. We're trying to build a country, you know. We were taxed, beat, arrested, robbed, and burnt the stake in Europe. We're looking for a free land where we can worship as we want, build a life as we want. And they knew something. It's God that delivered us. It's God that got across that water while we were puking our guts out. It's God that sustained us once we got here. We better remember God and not lose faith in God. He's the reason we made it. So we're going to start a university to do nothing but train ministers so the new people coming over can hear the truth of the word of God so it will sustain them. So Harvard College started this one, page two of their book in 1643. Let every student be plainly instructed, and watch this, and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. What's the purpose of this college? You better know Jesus or you're not going to make it. Why did Harvard start? To teach people you better know Jesus. He went on and said this, and therefore lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. If you don't know about Jesus, we can educate you all day long. You're not going to make it. The devil's not afraid of the degree. The devil's afraid of Jesus in you coming out of your mouth. They knew that in 1643. Yale comes along, 1745. Here's what the handbook said in the Yale handbook for scholars. Anybody that comes here to teach, all scholars shall live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word, diligently reading the holy scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend to those duties, both both religion and public and private life. He said, if you're not serving God, we're not hiring you. You stop serving God, we'll fire you. We only hire one kind of professor, those who are committed to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We only take students who are committed to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you're not allowed to teach Jesus in Yale or Harvard. What happened? Well, the devil's been working real slow. Well, my God, what's going on? Well, we need to keep doing what we know. We're not going to curse the dog. God bless Yale. God bless Harvard. Father, I ask you to teach them to fear you. Surround them with mighty men and women of valor. Send labors across their path and bless them in Jesus' name. We don't curse stuff. We bless stuff. How do you get God to show up? Somebody's got to speak God into existence. You can't curse. I got to start saying something good. So, we went through that. Here it is. Here's the five-minute sermon, long introduction. Got down to father, love fathers. Now, this is, this is a letter I wrote just a few weeks ago. Dad, daddy, pop, papa, uh, father, many names, same job description. The term fathering means to treat with protective care. It means being involved, behaving responsibly, being emotionally engaged, physically available, providing financial support, and having influence in child-raising decisions. That's Webster. It says, before the Industrial Revolution, dads worked side by side with their kids. In other words, dad farmed, he ran a horseshoe thing, he ran a business. Kids worked with their dads. How'd you learn about life? I worked with my dad. He told me how to be honest, tell the truth, do the right thing, show up early, stay late, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, or you don't make it in business. 
All of a sudden, the Industrial Revolution hit and everybody went off to the factory and dad left the family business. So kids are by themselves, being raised by their mothers. Where's your dad? He's at work. I love my dad. My dad worked swing shift for 13 years for the DuPont Nylon Company. If my dad was home, he was asleep, tired, or grippy, working swing shift. Finally, he got out and went back to school, became an electrician, and I got my dad back before he passed away. And what happened? There's no fathers around. So here's what happened. This is why fathers eventually became regarded as merely breadwinners who fulfilled the parental duty of providing. Dads made the money, moms did everything else. I pulled that with Denise. We got six years. Dad, what about, I don't know, go ask your mother. Dear God, I don't know. Hey, what? I don't know, go ask your mother. Go ask your Well, Denise came from an all-male family, except for a mom. They're all men. So she would send them back. I said, we, we, I just told you, go talk to your mother. She said, talk to you. I don't know that. I don't do social stuff. I'm making money. Go ask your mother. No, she said, talk to you. They scared here. What is this? Could you do something? Joe, you're the head of the family, aren't you? What? you the head of the family? Yeah. Well, that's your job. That's not my job. Sure it is. I didn't know what to say. She said, Joe, you want to be a woman? I can get you a skirt and some pantyhose. You want to be the woman of the family? I can take over and get the britches and, and take the lead, but I think you're supposed to make these decisions. So it'd be stupid social stuff. Can I have his friend over? Can I go here? I don't know. Well, dear God, who is it? And where are you going? How long are you going to be there? Dear God, I shouldn't have to do this. And I realized, no, I am supposed to do this. I'm the head of the family. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> we didn't talk about this when we got married. <laughs> so anyhow, here's what happened. Today in America, 43% of all children live without a father. 43% of all kids in America have no dad. Almost half. Where'd dads go? They ran away. Why'd they leave? Because they can't handle looking stupid. Nobody taught us the word of God. We're not evil. We just didn't know the word of God. Listen to this. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 71% of all pregnant teenagers, 71% of all high school dropouts, 73% of all adolescents in drug abuse centers come from fatherless homes. All sitcoms make fun of dads. Dads are stupid, lazy, sorry, and ugly. Women are in charge of it. There's not one sitcom on TV in America that honors a father. There's not a movie made that honors a father. Men are sorry, lazy, rude, ignorant. No, they're not. We're the head. God made us the head. We're anointed to be the head. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school, twice as likely to end up in jail, and four times more likely to need behavioral, uh, help with behavioral problems. The anti-male movement in the past few years has many people asking, are fathers even necessary? And the answer is yes. Kids with fathers do much better in school. Don't get into crime. Don't get drugs. Don't get, why? Because dads are dominant. I love you and I'm going to help you not be stupid. <laughs> Call a love you. <laughs> no, you can't stay out at 2 a.m. I read a newspaper. Nothing good happens at 2 a.m. Stupid things happen at 2 So you'll be in bed. Praise God. <laughs> no, you can't turn your bedroom into an apartment. You're not going to go up there and live like an idiot all by yourself. So there'll be no electronics in your room. No TV, no cell phone, no CD player, nothing. It's just a bed and a dresser. Go to sleep. Get up and come on down. Got a big screen TV, got a basketball court. Man, we got stuff to ride. Have a good time, but you're going to sleep. God designed you to sleep a third of your life. You need no electronics to sleep. <clears throat> I'm trying to be serious, but it's a serious thing. So here it is in summation. This is, some, this is just for dads. Moms, hang with me here. Proverbs 22, 6, I'm to train up my children. Deuteronomy 6, 6, I'm to teach my children. Luke 11, 11, I'm to give good gifts to my children. Ephesians 6, 4, I'm not to provoke them to anger. Colossians 3, 2, I'm not to aggravate them. And Hebrews 12, I'm to discipline them. That's pretty much the summation. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I'm, I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chimney. Ho, 
ho, ho. So all of a sudden we started that, and so here it is. So I'm through. This is something that I just got. This is, uh, I love Israel. Go to Israel, and Jewish fathers are different. You know, every Sabbath, you know, they go over there, they have 24-hour church, not, not two-hour church. And so every Sabbath at the end on Saturday, the Jewish fathers, for you're in a kibbutz or synagogue or, or a hotel, you'll see them gather up at sundown on Saturday. Get all their family in the circle. And the elder father, grandfather, goes around the circle and lays hands on every kid in his family. And he's speaking in Hebrew. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically creative. May the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically... Now, I don't know if you know, but Jewish Americans make up 2% of the population, but they account for one-third of all multimillionaires and 25% of all doctors and nurses. Uh, If the Jew does something, he dominates it. He doesn't just show up. Because they've been taught from childhood, you will be filthy, stinking rich. You're going to work hard. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to leave everything better than you found it. And they just believe that. Can you imagine being an 18-year-old and 52 times a year your dad said, hey, you're going to be economically creative and spiritually strong. Okay. All right. Now watch this. In history, I've taught history for 10 years, you believe what you hear the most of. It took the world to whip Germany because Hitler controlled the media, the radio, and he told them, we're winning. We're winning. We won. We're winning. No, you got whipped in Russia. You got whipped in France. You got whipped in Egypt. They're coming to your front door, but the Germans in Germany believe they were winning because they fought to the last 12-year-old boy and 80-year-old man. Why? They believe they were winning. Why? You believe the lie. Truth will set you free. That's why you guard your heart with all diligence for the issues of life. That's why as a parent, don't ever tell your kid, man, you're dumber than dirt. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. I saw hill of beans in Saxon, soybean plant. Incredible. Big hill of beans. That was what my dad was talking about. There's my hill of beans. <laughs> now we got to start saying what God says about us. So here it is. This is, this is the blessing. This is what they were doing over there. Now I always thought this is a Catholic thing. It's not. It's a Bible thing. I thought, well, Catholics do it good. Maybe we ought to. And there's what every Sabbath of sundown, the blessing of the fathers is poured onto the children. Here's where they get it. Number six, verses 22 through 26. And here's what God said. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now here's the biblical definition. The blessing is an impartation of the supernatural power of God into a human life by the spoken word by God's delegated authority. When you say bless you, that's not say, hey, God bless you. Hey, bless your heart. Hey, bless you. No, 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 it's tangible. It has substance. When you speak a blessing, that is God moving. So I don't care if you've been a heathen all your life, you smoked dope, been in prison, got drunk. If you're a father, you are anointed to speak a blessing over your children. It's not when you've been in church, not church, you are gifted to speak a blessing. So here's the scripture, this is Genesis 1, 28, God made, God made Adam and Eve, then God blessed them. Hey, well, God bless you. No, no, he put something on them. No, you're blessed. Now, you can choose not to use it, but I'm about to bless you. Genesis 12, 1, God told Abraham, leave and go to a country and I will bless you there. Oh, my goodness. Genesis 27, 30, Isaac blessed Jacob, not Esau. You know, Jacob thought he's coming to get it. Mama tricked him. He dressed up the younger, you know, Jacob, like his brother with the hairy arms, and dad gave the blessing. Well, Jacob comes in right after, I mean, Esau comes after Jacob leaves. Dad, I'm here to get the blessing. He said, because Jacob, he's blind. He said, I just blessed you. I, he didn't bless me. I just got back with the, with the venison. Oh my goodness, I've blessed your brother. 
And he's, he's just, oh my goodness, you kidding you, bless, you gotta bless me. I can't. This isn't a nice saying. This is tangible. It's got substance. I gave it to your brother. He's got it. When you bless your children, you're not being nice. Well, God bless you. I hope turn out. No, I'm giving you something. God said, I have the anointing and authority. To, I can bless you. So I tell people, I don't care if your kids are 55, live halfway around the world. I don't care if you have no relation with them. Yeah, my God, we don't have a relation. Just call them up. Hey, dad, well, what do you want? Well, God bless you. I got to go. Hang on. I'm telling you right now. I like this uh, uh, Genesis 28, 14 to Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your children, which brings me, I, I got to do this real quick. You can Google this. Go to your library. I'm not making this up. CNN just did a story on it. Christopher Columbus was a Jew. He was not a Spaniard. Actually, he's an Italian. He's from Italy. Uh, Spain, this Catholic thing was going strong. They hated Jews. The day Columbus left for America to discover America, they expelled 800,000 Jews from Spain, kicked them out, took their money, took their homes, burnt some of them at the stake. Jews were being persecuted. Well, Columbus was an undercover Jew. They had a name for the Moravians. He's not really, he won't tell anybody, but he is. He's a practicing Jew. So he's coming to America. Now, you can get this in any public library. We celebrate Columbus Day. You know why Columbus came to America? He's looking for two things. Number one, he's looking for a home for his people. We have no home. We've been scattered to the four corners of the earth. We've got to find a home for our people. He was coming to America to find a land where they could come settle it. Number two, he was looking for gold. And you can find this in Columbus's letter, so I'm not making this in the public library. It's in Christian. They found letters Columbus was writing back to the five Jewish guys supporting him. It really wasn't Ferdinand. It was the Jewish guys putting the money behind it. He was looking for a land of gold. Why? Because we've got to find gold. Watch this now. To equip our army to go back and take Jerusalem. In Columbus's own letter, Messiah cannot come to planet Earth until we retake Jerusalem. We must retake Jerusalem. He wasn't just looking for wacky stuff. He had two things in his mind. I need a homeland for my people. I need gold to set Jerusalem free. Devout believer. Who discovered America? A devout believer. Why do you think we're blessed? Well, he had a reason for looking for us. We want to, we want to land where we can be free and do stuff. History books are amazing, just nobody reads them anymore. So I like this, Matthew 19, people brought their children to Jesus so Jesus could bless them. This wasn't sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Hey, you want to sit on Santa Claus's lap and give you a sucker? We'll get you a picture. No, Jews in, in, in Jerusalem, they were being persecuted by the Romans, arrested, killed, burnt to the stake. They know something. I, I need the blessing of God on my kids. We're living in the middle of hell itself. Jesus, I need you to lay your hands on my children. We know that you're God. Please lay your hands and speak a blessing over my children. They lined up. The disciples got mad. Get these kids out of here. Jesus said, you don't know what you're saying. I need to bless these children. This isn't a nice thing. This is tangible. They're going to need this for the future. Oh, my goodness. Now, I'll give you the last one. First Chronicles 16, 43, David went home to bless his family. And then Luke 24, 50, the last thing Jesus did is he was floating up into heaven. He's leaving earth. He's going home. He's floating up. They're watching the upper room. Things happen 40 days ago. There he goes. He's floating up. And I'm sure Jesus, the creator of the universe, second member of the Godhead, made the 93 billion known galaxies, is thinking. Now, I got one more shot at him here. What should I say? I got one more shot here. Uh, the Bible says he blessed them. What's the last thing the Son of God did to the people here? Bless you. You're going to need this, and it's going to be tantrum. It's going to work. I had a Catholic friend of mine down in, New, down in Baton Rouge, down there about three weeks ago, grew up Catholic. So we're in Catholic school, most kids in Catholic school are just mean as not, the nuns are smacking us all the time. And you know, so we had this one kid that was really mean. And boy, he's, they're working on their spanking him and slapping him. He's starting to come around, still mean, but he's trying really hard. So we're leaving class one day to go back to the dorm and the kid asked one of the nuns, said, 
So you're telling me if I'm good, if I'm good, if I'd be good for six weeks, you think God will get me a bicycle? Because he was poor. He wanted a bike, didn't have one. So you tell him if I could be good for six weeks, God will get me a bicycle? He said, the nun said, sure. You'd be good for six weeks? I believe God will get you a bicycle. Oh, man. So he runs back to the dorm. Well, people don't want to pray. They're going, it's a big dorm full of boys. He said, he bent down by his bed and he started to pray. And he said, God, you know, if I could be good for six weeks, you get me a bicycle? He said, nobody else is praying. We're just getting dressed and stuff. So he prayed down and all of a sudden he sat there real quiet for a minute and he said, okay, okay, forget that. We found out later what he was thinking. He thought after he prayed that, there's no way I can be good for six weeks. That ain't going to happen. So he changed his prayer. Okay, God, God, forget that, forget that. Okay, if I could be good for three weeks, God, if I can be good for three weeks, you get me a bicycle? He got real quiet again and we're just watching. So I said, okay, forget that. Okay, God, if I could be good for one week, you get me a bicycle? I said, now he's looking. He's, he's praying now. He's his eyes open. He's looking. All of a sudden he looked over and there's a statue of the Virgin Mary in every dorm little statue on the desk over there. The kid gets up and grabs the statue of the Virgin Mary, wrapped it in his blanket and shoved it under the bed. Got back down on his knees and said, God, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better get me a bicycle. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, but. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. The word loves us. Knows what we're thinking before we think it. Hairs of our head are numbered, days of our life are numbered. He said, I want to give you a full life. I want to do exceeding abundantly above beyond all you ask or think. But we've got to find out what to ask a thing that's in the word of God and that happens in the local church. We're in the greatest place on the face of the planet this morning. Don't leave. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.